Well, we're not willing to let go of the fact that the Doctor Who season is over. We're hanging on to last Christmas. Today on the Two Minute Time Lord podcast, a time dilation edition, we're going a little bit longer than our titular two minutes with a couple of guests. Stay tuned for a small roundtable conversation about last Christmas. Hi, I'm Chip Sutter. This is the Two Minute Time Lord podcast, and with me are National Public Radio's Petra Mayer. Hello. Hi there. Did I pronounce that right? Is it Mayer or Meyer? Mayor, you got it right. I got it right. Okay, we'll cut I'm very out. Impressed. We'll cut out this point where I at, where I actually doubted myself. <laughs> That's totally cheating. Oh, Tansy. Oh. <laughs> Hush, As a I'm radio still a professional. I can say that's not cheating. That's totally okay. <laughs> Hush, Tansy. I'm trying to draw something out from Petra here. Um, let me put on my Linda Holmes hat. Petra <laughs> Mayer, what do you do at National Public Radio? <laughs> uh, I am an editor at NPR Books, specializing in nerd culture. And if you've got your Linda Holmes hat on, I will say thank you for occasionally letting me on Pop Culture Happy Hour. Uh, I have actually campaigned uh, on Twitter, well, sent a single tweet to Linda saying, why isn't she a regular? Because <laughs> you know how much prep goes into those those recordings? Oh my God, I could never do it on a weekly basis. I don't know how they do it. Pop Culture Happy Hour at NPR.org, a fantastic podcast. Just like the podcast that my other guest participant uh, participates in, Tansy Rayner Roberts. Hello. Hello. Tansy, you are involved in a couple of podcasts, right? I am, yes. Uh, Doctor Who uh, Doctor Who listeners would know me probably from Verity, which has been going now for two whole years. Uh, but well before that, I've been involved in Galactic Suburbia, which is a podcast of basically pu- science fiction and publishing uh, from a feminist perspective uh, out of Australia. So, yes, I've been podcasting for many years now. Awesome. And you also happen to be an award-winning fantasy writer, including the Hugo for Best Fan Writer in 2013. I yes, bow, that is correct. I bow and scrape in your general direction. Me too. <laughs> I'm so glad to have both of you here um, because, like I said in the opener, uh, I'm not ready to contemplate the fact that we're probably about nine months away from more Doctor Who. So I want to dive back into Last Christmas which, as we record this, aired just about uh, five days ago, and I really loved it, but I want to talk about it. So, uh, Petra and Tansy, what did you two think of the 10th, 10th? I think it's the 10th Christmas special for Doctor Who since it came back. It didn't suck. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, that's damning with faint praise, but uh, I honestly think it might have been the best of the Christmas specials so far i mean they well i mean that's also damning with faint praise but i mean it was genuinely scary it made me of all people remember why sometimes stephen moffat can write things i want to watch it had a nice balance of creepy and funny clara didn't annoy the heck out of me i i was really pleasantly surprised uh i will come back to that statement about stephen moffat in just a second but a uh, quick flash from you tansy um i think it was a really excellent Doctor Who story, I struggled with it on the first viewing as a Christmas special because I was watching it with my two children and the content, like the horror content and frankly a lot of the, discu- the meta discussion of Santa Claus uh, because I also have, I have, I have at least one believer in my household. 
Oh, Val- no. It made the whole experience a bit traumatic the first time through, which was disappointing because generally as a family, we enjoy watching um, the Christmas specials. I mean, when you have your five-year-old on your lap crying saying, why is the Christmas special so scary? You start thinking... <laughs> You start feeling slightly murderous thoughts towards the creators. Having said that, when I was able to watch it without the kids, I was able to appreciate it for a really, really well-structured story. Um, there's nothing about this that I don't like as a a viewer. It's just that my Doctor Who viewing is not just my eyes these days. It's the, the nine-year-old and the five-year-old, and they struggled with aspects of it. So... Yeah, considering that Doctor Who is very much part of our family tradition, I, I found that part quite uncomfortable. It took me a while to unpack that and really enjoy all the, the good stuff in the story. And there is a lot of good stuff in there. Was the Santa thing, uh, was that seriously disillusioning? Did what Were there... It was okay. It's just that the experience of watching it, because we're watching it through the first time with the children... Uh, meant that we didn't know. Like, as it is, I don't think anything unforgivable was said about Santa. And, you know, my nine-year-old was disillusioned about Santa from a friend of hers many years ago, but the youngest one is still hanging on. So, you know, we we keep expecting each Christmas to be the last one in which she's a believer. Uh, I think it was okay. Every Christmas is the last Christmas. Yeah, every Christmas is the last Christmas. Uh, And it's like we got so close and then Boxing Day, it's like, really? And I, I also talked about this a little bit on, on Verity, but the trouble with the Doctor as a character is he has so much emotional weight, if, which is why I think we tend to be extra critical when of the figure of the Doctor of some of the things he says and does because when the Doctor says something, it's like extra true, especially to kids. So I was kind of stressed all the way through the first viewing waiting for him to say something unforgivable. And as it is, I think we got out of it okay. It was fine. But at one point I was so close just bundling her up in a blanket and, and sending her off to bed. But sadly that doesn't work. Really, <laughs> when you've promised a child she can sit up and watch Doctor Who, then you don't get to take that back. No. So we got out of it okay. I think ultimately they skirted that line comfortably enough. But it was very stressful on the first viewing. So I can't say that was enjoyable, which is a shame because I I, I – rather fond of the Nick Frost Santa. I think ultimately he and Peter Capaldi had a wonderful uh, chemistry and I'd be quite happy to see him back in future Christmas specials, frankly. I was actually uh, yeah. kind of disappointed that he didn't turn out to be a Time Lord himself. But Oh, me too, yeah. me too. Me too, but I don't know that they've necessarily closed that door. Just because this one was a figment of the imagination doesn't mean there isn't a real one out there who is a Time Lord. Well, there was um, a tangerine on the windowsill. Um, yeah, I, pet- I love the idea because Time Lords do tend to take on grandiose titles. I do love the idea that one of them will go, you know what, you're the Rani, you're the Master, you're the Doctor. I'm going to be Santa Claus. Beat that. <laughs> Can I also just say that the? I guess they figured that Americans wouldn't understand what a Satsuma was, but uh, I did kind of love the callbacks to with the Satsumas and the and the Second Chances line to the Tenth Doctor's uh, first Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Petra, what was it about this? Before we get into uh, Stephen Moffat specific stuff, uh, what was it about Last Christmas that really worked for you? If you had to pick one thing from a writing or directorial standpoint that made it hold together in a way that previous specials haven't. I think it was that everything in it was that that the that it was an episode all about dream logic in which the dream logic was mostly internally consistent. Uh, and there weren't any 
grand revelations that made me want to put my fist through the TV, like, oh, Gallifrey still exists, which, you know, don't get me started on how much I feel that undermines the entire dramatic arc of the, of the new series. Um, it was a, it was a sort of tight, self-contained, well-structured, believable episode. It was emotionally honest, which you don't get a lot in Moffat's writing. I think mostly it just, it didn't, make me hate the show and I was pathetically grateful for that because I love the show but I don't always like it. Are you a classic fan or um, new to the show? Um, what, what kind of fan do you describe yourself as, Petra? Obsessed. From start to, from start to finish? <laughs> Um, I, I have to um, sort of with great embarrassment admit that while my friends have tried to get me into the show for years and years and years and I have you know, a friend of mine is such an old school fan that Paul Cornell wrote her into one of the novels, and I can't remember which one it is at, at this point, but it, in one of his novels, there's a villainous cat-suited General Bamford, and that's my friend Sue. Um, but I only finally caved in at the beginning of Eleven's reign, and then suddenly it it just took my brain over. <laughs> so now uh, I've watched a lot of the classic series. I've obviously watched all of the new series. I'm kind of a I've got the comics, I've got some of the audiobooks, I'm just kind of an obsessed, tragic nerd. Well, I'd, I do want to, because not just here uh, in, in the last few minutes, but um, on your appearances on uh, Graham Burke's Reality Bomb podcast and on uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour itself, you've made some passing references to not being overly, overly fond of Stephen Moffat's uh, <laughs> Uh, approach as a writer and Tansy, um, especially on recent um, recent verities, you've been a pretty passionate defender of uh, Stephen's ability to write female characters in, in specific. Um, Petra, what is it about Stephen Moffat's approach th- that worked in Last Christmas that hasn't worked for you previously? And I want to give Tansy a, an opportunity for a vicious rebuttal. Only we're all friends here. <laughs> Uh, Tansy, do you want to go first, or should I? Well, if if I'm being held back for a vicious rebuttal, I don't know. <laughs> Please go ahead. I I think well, in a nutshell, my problem with Stephen Moffat's writing of female characters is that he has difficulties writing female characters who are in any way independent. They all seem to be utterly focused on the men in their lives or the doctor. They seem to have no existence outside of that. And I also feel like sort of concurrently with that, he has trouble writing just people in general, just people with honest emotional reactions to the incredible traumas that he puts them through. The The prime example of that would be Amy being kind of meh about the fact that she suddenly realized that she was pregnant and that her baby was kidnapped and raised away from her as a brainwashed assassin. And now it's this woman that she's been hanging out with who's also her childhood best friend. You wouldn't You'd react to that, wouldn't you? But Amy never really seems to. So what really worked for me in this episode, the moment that I began to love it, and I can't remember exactly the line, but but uh, Peter Capaldi says something something to the effect of, there are things no one should be okay about. Uh, and then Danny Pink at the end, who I've also not been fond of, really had a nice point where he talked about, where, where they acknowledge that Clara's mourning him and that she should mourn him, but she should go on. I, what really worked for me in this episode was I began to see Moffat as a writer acknowledge that that real rounded characters are going to have emotional reactions to, oh, I don't know, being trapped in a multi-layered dream by a scary, slimy alien face hugger. <laughs> Tansy, you're not nearly so uh, down on Stephen Moffat. Is... Uh, no, I'm, I'm definitely a, a Stephen Moffat apologist, I think, most of the time. Uh, but I've been following his writing for a long time, long before he came to Doctor Who. 
I do think I I, I struggle. I know because a lot of people have talked about his his writing of, of female characters. I feel that there aren't many criticisms about his female characters specifically that can't, as as Petra said, apply to writing of characters generally. And no, I I think he's brought a lo- a really huge list of interesting complex female characters into Doctor Who. I and he's been doing that since the beginning, you know, since two thousand and five. I think that one of his most, I mean, there are elements that are problematic. And I think the reaction of of Amy to the the baby thing is one example. But I think those, I think they're fairly few and far between. And I think that when those happen, that's one of those things that, you know, something happens in production that isn't caught. And there are elements of that which happen. But, and and I do think that there are. You can also criticise the fact that one of his default writing modes for dialogue is screwball comedies, which can be very entertaining but does have the occasional problematic gender trope. So he does occasionally skew to quite old-fashioned gender ideas. I mean, one example that I had problems with, for instance, through the Amy season was the the use of uh, comedy slapping from women to men, the idea being that, you know, if you had a male character slap a female character, you, you couldn't do that these days unless it was a villain but it's supposed to be amusing when Amy does it to her husband. It's like, you know what, when you're watching this with kids who are frankly taking moral guidance from the Doctor, we might not always wish that to be true, but frankly if kids watch Doctor Who then they're going to take moral guidance from the Doctor. Um, There are elements of that that aren't okay. I have a friend who's a mother who is really, actually gets really annoyed at the number of times that Clara in particular uh, and the doctor as well, tell people to shut up, which is something that seems pretty mild to us. But actually to kids, that's a really big thing and it's something that they're told constantly, you know, it's it's actually not okay behaviour and, and, and is considered, you know, bad behaviour. So, you know, there's I mean, that's- the blog, Blogger <laughs> Who website put together on YouTube a shut up supercut from this season. <laughs> Yeah. And it goes on and on and when on. When you realise that kids between the age of six and ten, and maybe this is just an Australian thing, I don't know, but they are taught that shut up is basically a swear word. It is disrespectful and it's not something that should be used in school. Uh, when they then see their heroes using it constantly and casually, let's face it, it's put in there because they can't use actual swear words uh, in certain time slots. Uh, it actually isn't good something, you know, that that's something that's not something necessarily you want your hero or your heroine to be doing. So, no, there are things like that that are problematic, but I actually generally enjoy the characters that Stephen Moffat puts on the page. I am a sucker for good dialogue and I really have always enjoyed his dialogue. I like the fact that his female characters are complicated and not always likeable. One of the things I loved about Amy was how often we were able to see her flaws and her anger as well as her being brave and funny and all that sort of thing. So I I personally feel that stuff overbalanced, you know, it balances out for the occasional times when, you know, thing, things slip through in scripts that or, or emotional beats that you really want to be there are skipped over. And season six had some great stuff in it, but it also had some pretty serious emotional beats that were missed out. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, I... I tend to be quite forgiving, but then Stephen Moffat taught me to love Linda Day in Press Gang in the late 90s, uh, late 80s, sorry. And, um, yeah, who's frankly such an unlikable character and yet, you know, for a whole generation of little girls, she was was their hero and she was a career woman. And so, yeah, he imprinted on me on an early age like a baby duckling. There isn't much I can do about that. (laughs) (laughs) As far as last Christmas... 
I came out of it really pleased with the roles of women. Generally speaking, in our household, the Christmas special that's replayed most often is a Christmas car- a Christmas Carol, which the kids love to bits. Has problematic gender stuff. Oh, um, it does so much. But so much. as far as a family friendly Christmas special, it's the one they go back to. It has flying sharks. You can't you can't hold up gender politics and tell them that that means they can't watch flying sharks. Oh, sure, yeah, that's, I, I that's just how it goes. I watch it with my cats. I don't have kids. Yeah, so. whereas <laughs> I, I actually really like the the one the following year, the Narnia one. I can't even remember the title. Oh, the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. That yes, was, I think that I, was the moment when um, Moffat seemed to get that women were mad at him. Well, see, I really liked that because it came after a season that was completely romanticising the role of men as fathers while kind of forgetting to talk about some quite important motherhood issues that were plot relevant. So I was really pleased to have a story that had the mother held up as a really important character. We don't get that that often in Doctor Who and as a mother myself, I always quite like a bit of mother as hero, though I know other people had problems with it. So, you know, each – and then, you know, we had the whole – the snowman, which is brilliant, except they they killed off Victorian Clara, who is still my favourite Clara. Um, I, so am I problematic ter- stuff. Am it I terrible nice person to- that episode didn't register on me at all? um moving along (laughs) okay getting back to last christmas i liked the fact that it had a bunch of interesting different female characters doing science i actually totally did that thing in my head where i thought oh this is a really female heavy episode until i counted the speaking roles i went no no if you count the elves there are still more male speaking characters than men and you have to count the elves otherwise it's racist But I enjoyed the female characters. Um, I enjoyed Shona. I think she was a great, fun character and an awful lot was conveyed without being said about her character, which was very clever. And the other two um, female scientists who are not scientists, they didn't have a lot to do, but what they did was kind of key to the story and there were a couple of really nice moments for them. And Clara. Clara got a really great Christmas special, which was not about either her or the Doctor dying, which I think she was due for, frankly. Um, what, 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 you, what did yeah. you think, Petra? Um, I agree with – I think you've, you've sort of put, hit the nail on the head, uh, Tan, um, Tansy, in terms of things that, that really worked for me about the episode also, that, that there were believable female characters who, who had things to do that didn't involve saving the Doctor or getting pregnant or – killing the doctor or marrying the doctor or you know what I mean it the ending I see why they did it I kind of wish I I've been I I I am not a Clara fan although I think she's improved a lot in this season and one of the things that I have really liked about what they've done with her in this season is that they haven't been afraid to make her unsympathetic to make her very flawed to make you know to make it obvious that she's trying to be the doctor and then that's that's not a great thing for any human to try so I do agree with you that that Moffat can sometimes write comp- interestingly complex and flawed women. I just haven't seen enough of it. But in this case, I'm not enough of a fan of hers to wish that she would stay around. And I kind of wish, being that I don't have kids to be scared by this episode, that they'd had the courage of their convictions and ended it, you know, I, I, I mean, I've heard all the rumors that, you know, Jenna Coleman wasn't sure whether that she was staying until the last minute and that originally you know, old Clara was supposed to die in the doctor's arms. And I I kind of wish that that's what would have happened, even though it would have been a terribly downer ending to a downer season. 
the happy ending just felt a little tacked on for me. Um, it, uh, it didn't quite feel earned, which was sort of a, for me, a flashback to, to the bad old days of Clara where nothing about her was earned. We were just told over and over that she was this impossible girl who was so central to the doctor's experience. But that's kind of really my, my only quibble. Well, I had a couple other little quibbles, but <laughs> that's the major one. But I also re- recognized, you know, that, that 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 was probably going to be an unpopular dramatic choice had they made it. So I see why they stuck with the ending that they did. Mm-hmm. And so we'll now have uh, we'll now have Jenna Coleman and Peter Capaldi uh, together for the entirety of the ninth season. And I guess my last question for both of you, Tansy and Petra, is where do you think Doctor Who as a TV series and as a narrative? Where do you think it's situated now? Now that this, now that last Christmas has ended, we've got a, a, I guess, an extension of the status quo. Where can they go? I think what I'd really like to see is it's quite similar to what I said I wanted to see for last season. Uh, I think a second compa- another companion in the TARDIS would be really great because I think it would be something that we haven't actually seen much of in New Who is the crossover companions where. You have a companion with the Doctor and then a new one comes in and they actually have some stories together before the old one leaves. And because there's been so much emphasis on him as the lonely god and the whole leaving him alone between companions being this big narrative tragedy thing, uh, we haven't really got much of that. I'd like to see I'd like to see another girl in the TARDIS. I'd like to see somebody who's not a contemporary Earth character to balance things out. And I do think something they haven't done with Clara yet and perhaps we are going to see now is Clara as a full-time TARDIS companion, which she's never been. And that would actually be some new narrative ground. It's been great. I really enjoyed the fact that she had this part-time relationship with the Doctor and the TARDIS and her own career in the meantime. I enjoyed that, but I would actually like, I think we're ready now. We're going to have another year of the same character with the Doctor, which feels feels like a long time, but it actually only will give her the same amount of time that, that Amy's had. Uh, I think we need a different phase. And Amy had lots of different phases in the TARDIS. Like there was solo companion, there was travelling with Rory, there was travelling with Rory after they were married, there was the in and out later phase as they were getting older. So I think Clara, some full-time Clara and having her bond a bit more with some of the whole alien travelling experience because Clara wanting to travel is one of those really important character points that keeps, I don't know, kind of feels like it, it gets dropped a bit too much. Petra, uh, I'd like do you to see think... her end up on an alien planet. Petra, do you think those kinds of uh, cho- uh, that kind of direction would make Clara even more palatable to you? And where do you think the show ought to wind up after uh, this for this coming season? Uh, well, the answer to that is in uh, in order. Yes, and I don't know, <laughs> which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know where it's headed right now. And I actually am really pleased to be able to say that because, uh, I, you know, when I the, when I was on Reality Bum last time, I was very cynical and cranky. And I, I think I bet Graham $5 that the Christmas episode was going to suck and that Clara was going to leave at the end because she was pregnant with Danny, Mo- with Danny Pig's child because grar, Moffat, grar, pregnancy plotline, grar, do something different with your women. And and I've been set back on my heels. I've been surprised. I don't know what they're doing. Gallifrey's not there. Danny's not there. There's kind of a whole new clean slate. Um, I I kind of feel like the show could go anywhere. 
and I do definitely agree. I would love to see a third companion. I w- can we please have Journey Blue because she was awesome. Um, Journey Blue or Shona? I kind of like Shona. Shona. Yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> both of them. I'm kind of ready for a uh, for, for a non Caucasian person in the TARDIS, though. Um, I feel like the show needs to work on its diversity. And I also, I think the next year, I really want to see more development of Clara's character. Um, We have a whole year now to explore her motivations. Uh, You know, her relationship with the Doctor has kind of been settled now. But one of my biggest beefs with her, you know, once they started developing their characters, that I still don't have a good sense of why she's traveling with him. And she, you know, there's a point in which Danny asks her why, and she can't really express it either. You know, with every other companion at least in the modern show you kind of see where they came from and you see them develop and you see as Tansy said they have different phases in the TARDIS they grow and they change and you learn more about their motivations and the way being with the doctors changed them and I really want to see more of that with Claire if we're going to have her for another year then I really want to see her become a fully rounded human being with a with a real arc of development Tansy Uh, any any last thoughts um, I think Clara as veteran with a newbie companion would be a really fun dynamic uh, because that's something that can bring something new to a long-running companion. I think of how the um, the Ace and Hex maybe vibe went in the, the audio books, this idea of companion who's been around long enough that they're all world weary and so they get to teach you how to do it. That would be really cool. I can, I, I'm sorry. I, 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 I have to interrupt here. I can just imagine a neophyte companion looking nervously at, at the TARDIS console back and forth between the Doctor and Clara and not knowing who to who to listen to and who to piss off less. And everything <laughs> they say contradicts each other. I like think the Doctor says thing. something and Clara says, yeah, yeah, no, he's lying. This is actually the truth. So I'd, I'd love to see that. I think that would be really fun. And, yeah, I think... Because I mean, you talked about Doctor Who winding up. It doesn't wind up. It always sort of, you know, it keeps going into a new phase. We want something different. I think it's pretty clear that since they didn't take the having a good life, dying quietly as an old lady route now in the, the Christmas story, what that tells us is that that's not how Clara's story is going to end. When she leaves the TARDIS, it's going to be in some other way because otherwise we'll all be raging about Moffat repeating himself. Um, so... <laughs> I'd love to see her. I've always said I'd really like to have a companion who leaves because they find something more interesting in their life journey rather than because they've been, you know, tragically separated from the Doctor by some unknown force. I want to see Clara maybe find a new mission for herself. Maybe the whole thing about her teaching in every country in Europe was a lovely little touch about what her fantasy life consisted. Maybe she's going to find a role as a teacher on an alien planet or in another time zone because she doesn't really seem very settled to her own time space on Earth. So, yeah, I'd like to see her find a destiny that's frankly more interesting than the temptations of the TARDIS and grow out of the TARDIS rather than, you know, being kicked out by at the last minute by whoever the uh, the person running the show is. Do you two think that the uh, uh, addiction subplot is over and done with? I don't know. I kind of thought it was very interesting. That would be one of those emotional beats that I'd be sad if they just left it. I'd like to see it explored a little bit more because it's such a powerful metaphor. But can if I can be silly for a minute, you mentioned Ace. And I just suddenly started to think so much of this seri- season 
has been about Clara becoming more like the doctor in her lying and her in her domineering ways and in the fact that she takes the doctor's role um, in the season ender. And honestly, if they're gonna, if they're going to bring Gallifrey back, I want I want Clara to have Ace's old plotline. I want her to go to the Time Lord Academy. Actually, that's a great idea. I would actually much prefer that than that it happened to Ace because I was actually furious that that was planned for Ace. I thought that was a ridiculous endpoint for her. But it would actually work for Clara. It would be yeah. very much coming full circle. Uh, I yeah. And if I mean, I'm quite excited that we're pretty sure that Missy's coming back this season, which means we'll get Clara as well getting to face off against the Master, which is always fun when the companion has history with the Master when when. They come back, and they don't get uh, much yeah, more. I'd love to see cat over the doctor. Clara on Gallifrey that totally works for me, and and then you know the doctor can leave her there and go off with Romana, and everyone will be happy <laughs> forever. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> well, we've got nine months to worry about that, whether that's going to happen or not. So, my last question to you both is: as Doctor Who fans. What are you going to do during this fallow period where we'd have no new who? That's what fan fiction is for. (laughs) Yes, I read fan fiction. I have no shame. I'm going to spread lots of rumors about Nick Frost being the new regular Doctor Who companion just to freak people out. Uh, (laughs) And Verity, of course, goes all year round. So we actually, this coming year, we choose a different theme each year. This year, our weekly podcast or our fortnightly regular podcast podcast in between all the other podcasts uh is going to revolve around the story of the companions so that's what we're focusing on next year so we're going to be hopefully talking lots about nissa and liz shaw and ben and polly and the whole history of the show which is enough to keep us going that sounds wonderful in fact you know i changed my mind what i'm going to do until doctor who comes back is listen to the archives of verity And well, you should, because it's an awesome, awesome podcast and a very necessary one. Deb, Erica, you can you can send the check to uh, to (laughs) Webmaster. Hi, Deb. (laughs) So anybody, anyway, uh, Petra, Tansy, it's been fantastic talking with you about last Christmas, and who knows, maybe we can do this again another Christmas. I'd love to. I I would love to. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both for being on Two Minute Time Warp Podcast. Petra Mayer is NPR books editor, and if you heard of a good book on National Public Radio, it's because of her. Blank, <laughs> blanket statement. And Tansy yeah. is one of the six formidable co-hosts of Doctor Who Verity. She's also on Galactic Suburbia, and she writes an awful, awful lot, including about Robotech, and that's something that's near and dear to my heart as well. Both of you, thank you so much. Um, and uh, you can find more episodes of Two Minute Time Lord podcast at TWOMinuteTimeLord.com. I'm on social media at numeral Two Minute Time Lord, and I'll talk to you again real soon.